Hi, it's Joe. Hi, friends. Aislinn here. And we want to welcome you to the second half of Season 3 of Dinner Table Talks. We are so glad that you are here at our table with us, and we are looking forward to all of the great talks that we're going to have. If you enjoy what you hear, tell a friend. Grab a drink and get your most comfortable chair. Pull it up to the table because we're about to get into it. So I surprised myself by deciding to do something this year. What's that? 40 days of fasting. In a moment in time when everybody's doing it, I think that it's an opportunity for expansion of this concept of fasting. Yeah. And being able to talk about fasting and taking on some things like that. I asked some friends, y'all giving anything up for Lent? And the answer was, no, we're not Catholic. Like, well, well, wait a second. Yeah. And that's the thing. I Like, I gave that part of it up, my connection to it. The Methodist, which my grandmother would say, this Methodist church smacks up Catholicism. She that's would. what she would say. She said that? <laughs> yes. that's what That was her saying. And, and fasting or Lent was an example of that. Well, yeah, but not oh. all my life. I wouldn't say that the Methodists... Not all Methodist churches I grew up in did a 40-day of Lent thing, mm-hmm. but the First United Methodist Church that I attended in Corpus Christi does. Right. And so I learned it there. I picked it up there. And then when I stepped away from the church years ago, I kind of kept doing it because I fa- I like fasting. I think fasting is really important. I've talked about it on the podcast before. I think fasting is a way to practice at quitting something or test whether you need to quit something. Okay. This year, it dawned on me the day before Lent, and I didn't realize it until we were sitting in a crawfish restaurant on Fat Tuesday that, oh, tomorrow starts Lent. Right. Well, on the day that we're at this Fat Tuesday crawfish boil thing, I choose to not have alcohol because I just wasn't feeling it. And there's been something inside me. Part of it is, is that I've I've not been feeling super well. I've been kind of sick. I've had a little ongoing lingering cough. Yeah. And so I'm like, my body is telling me it needs me to do some things to help it be healthier. So I've been giving myself more vegetables and I've been eating less chocolate and I, maybe I need to drink a little bit less alcohol. Right. And so what I decided to do yesterday after thinking about it and it being brought to my mind on fat Tuesday is I'm going to fast from alcohol for the next 40 days. Yes. That that makes sense. I am looking forward to it. I feel like it's going to be a breath of fresh air. Mm -hmm. And so I want to talk about fasting, not because of the religious part of it. I don't give two shits about that necessarily. I'll do the 40 days and 40 nights. I do align with that meditation and fasting. I, I think that's the part of it for me that means something. And so whether you do it on March the 2nd through whatever the 40 days is after that, or whether you do it at, right after Christmas, or whether you do it all year long, every once in a while, you pick 40 days and you Some do a fast. Some people have a sober October or a... Yeah, it's 40 days of fasting, except mm-hmm. that we're picking a month and saying, for this month, I'm going to do, right. you know, whatever. And so I, I'd like to be able to have the conversation of fasting, and I've been appreciative of that. Let's talk about that. What if you pulled fasting out of religion and fasting was just something you did to take care of yourself. I think you need to pull fasting out of the religion because the folks at my office that are Catholic and doing Lent right now talk about the requirement and ugh of it all. I've got to do this thing because oh, the, well, the then guy it's up worthless. there has told me I'm supposed Literally, to. Literally, if that's the feeling about fasting for Lent, yeah. you might as well not be doing it. 
you can't halfway turn the light on. You're either fasting or you're complaining about fasting. Right. But but you might as well not be fasting I'm if you're about complaining about fasting. The requirement right. of it as right. opposed to your voluntarily saying, you know what, I'm not feeling well. Right. More than likely it's something that is going into my body. Yeah. What if it's this? Right. Let me try some time without it. Yeah. And yeah. you've done that for as long as I've known you. Yeah. Well, I fast from gluten. Yeah. That's and, a permanent fast. Yeah. And I fast from all kinds of things. And mm -hmm. I have fasted from sugar before. And yeah. I have fasted from alcohol before. I told somebody today, I'm a good quitter. <laughs> <laughs> and I like that about myself. Yeah. You know, but honestly, whether if, if you're, if you're fasting for Lent because you feel required by the church to do it, you might as well not be doing it. You're, it, you're, it's you're actually, giving them alternative facts right now. It's actually the reason why I don't go to church. Because Hi, everybody. of that. <laughs> Welcome to the dinner table. Yeah, yeah. It's going to get intense around here. It gets intense from time to time. <laughs> All the while, Aislinn is over here bragging about how good she is at fasting. Please go back to last week and listen to how, maybe the last two weeks, and listen to how I am a junk food junkie, uh -huh. and I love M&Ms. Well, you said last week, pick your battles. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, our backyard looks a little different. It does. Kai Shin would tell you he is very, very happy to be able to garden with mommy again. The chickens are at the fence watching you garden a backyard. Yes. Upset because they know now their free range days are likely over. Well, certainly for this season, because I've got new baby plants that are about to come up. I might let them back in once things get a little more established again. We'll see how it goes. What are you up That's to? That's a I've lot got... of chickens out there, though. I've got questions for you. What are you up to? Well, I am putting in the first backyard garden here at Freedom Harvest Farms. You guys know that I have a couple of big gardens up in the front. Mm -hmm. Now that we've moved in and now that we're moving into the spring, I actually had a hula culture bed. What is that? It is a raised bed without a boundary, although you could put a wood boundary around it. Mm -hmm. around it. That'd be fine. A lot of people have heard of the term lasagna gardening, which is layering. The layering that you're doing is carbon material, like newspapers and mulch and sand. And you're just putting all these different sands, not carbon material, but you're putting these layers of things in to create a raised bed. And that's basically what a culture bed is. You can look it up. It's H-U-G-E-L-K-U-L. T-U-R. Of German origin, I believe. Exactly. You basically pull back the topsoil off the ground level, and then you fill the bottom up with a layer of logs, and then a layer of scrap pieces, twigs, and things like that, and then a layer of mulch. And you make and a then, big pile. It's way up out of the ground. It absolutely. Could be. And up in the areas, maybe in Germany, but also in the Northeast and places like that where there are big logs... They've got massive hugelkultur beds. I mean, they're they're standing height hugelkultur right. beds. Right, the top of the hill that that you make with the log base is as high as a human. I always make the bad joke about mine that mine actually look like little like little kid burial grounds. Right. I probably should stop making that joke. Well, but the one that you'd made in the backyard was not the size of a human child. It's coffin. <laughs> Sicko. That's very disturbing. I I'm made that joke at like a have... garden club ladies meeting the other day. And just like in some of the movies we've recently been talking about it, they laughed before they were offended. This one that you made was like 20 feet long. Yeah. By five foot wide. Yeah. So you had this Well, big, that's because we had the tractor. And you had this big hugelkultur bed. Yeah. 
that had kind of overgrown with weeds because you built it before we moved out here. Long before we moved out here. It was just something I was doing when I would visit the farm mm -hmm. every month or so. Right. I'd just play around with a little garden. So, so, so I noticed there was plastic covering it up. We covered it up with plastic. We actually covered it up right before a hurricane. It's a fake interview. I noticed it just out, out of the corner of my eye. I did think it was kind of odd, but that's okay. Yeah, we're, we're kind of odd. Go ahead. <laughs> because, because I think, yeah, there was a hurricane coming that was supposed to be a high, intense we were going to get the side of it that gives us a lot of rain. And so I was like, okay, get out there. Let's get it weed-eated all the way down to the ground. My dad had bought a nice roll of the good, a good kind of plastic that you can put on safely, put on that kind of stuff. And the rain didn't come. So we watered the crap out of it and then we covered it up and it stayed from September until February. And in February, we took the top off of it. We let the chickens get in there. Right. I took some old pots of dead plants, kind of dumped all my old topsoil up on top sure. of it. Then my dad came in with a tractor a couple of days ago and I wanted to make it bigger than that. So I like divided it by two and lengthened it a little bit. So it's basically like two tractor widths wide and then another how how long would you say that is 40 feet there you go and he leveled that hugelkultur bed out he actually had put some good logs in it because we had had to cut down a tree after a storm and when he was going through it a couple of times he snapped a little pin mm -hmm. on the tractor but he never complained. He just went over there and he got it fixed and he came back over and he, because the soil was so beautiful, he could see what I had done in there. And so well, then the, he just... the carbon material of those logs, not the largest ones that are still, still you can see, right. but the smaller ones, they degrade over time Absolutely. and then they're feeding all of that That's right. degraded carbon right into the root structure of whatever you've planted there. Yes. That's well, the purpose and... of it all. Absolutely. Well, and the, the real purpose of it all is it that... It alters the soil. It does, but it, the carbon material feeds the life in the soil and you want the life in the soil to be really healthy and alive. So as it's degrading, it's actually that sugar or the carbon is feeding microscopic things mm -hmm. and mycorrhizal fungi and Your all kinds word. of life that's going on in the soil. So that's what it's for. That's the main reason why we put all that carbon in the soil. It's because it's food. It's, it's like giving a human corn. We love corn. We eat it all up with corn here and there and everywhere, right? So it's literally the same thing. It's wood is actually like corn to the earthworms and corn to the mycorrhizal fungi. It's just, mm, we're going to eat it all up. I permaculture grow or what you might call regenerative growing which means that I don't till my soil every season. Every six months, everybody tills us. I do not do that. I do not till my soil. I till my soil at the beginning or if for some reason, like this particular bed that I had created didn't get tended well enough and mm -hmm. it got a lot of weeds growing up on it, I kind of had to take a bed back over again. Then I would break that bed down. I would till that bed down. That stuff got all nicely smoothed out. It had beautiful, beautiful soil in it. And then we have some material piles so he made a nice mixture of some more topsoil mixed with some good compost material, which is actually cow manure compost, so basically fertilizer, and then some sand because mm -hmm. we have so much cl black clay soil down here that we got to add sand to the mixture. And it's that helps what the water move through the soil better, all kinds of things. It's got a lot of minerals in it, it's got gypsum in it, it's got calcium okay. in it, it's got all kinds of things, especially this stuff because this is coastal soil. It's got some breakdown of shells, like actual shells okay. going on. So there's little mines minerals. of calcium yeah. and minerals and things going on in there. But in addition to that, it makes it easier on us, the people that are building the beds, to go in now with shovels and just till it up. 
And then if I plant in there carrots or if I plant in there potatoes or any kind of root vegetables, it's just so much easier to pull them out of the ground. It's okay. easier to extract them, sweet it's potatoes, for all of that roots stuff. To go deeper, too. Absolutely. I absolutely. So then, of course, we've also got the mulch, and then we start mulching the footpaths and all of that kind of stuff. So I've got a new backyard garden. Now, here's my question The other gardens up in the front of the property are not so far away that you're burdened by having to go to them. But now you literally have a garden. Yes. Right outside your back door. Yes. Does that play into what you will plant here? The, the things you want most accessible, the things you want closest to you, the things that require the most maybe care and daily It will eventually. Okay. That will become my protege backyard garden, kind of like what I had over at the other house in town. This season... It is just a summer planting because Production I need garden. to get corn, potatoes, green beans, all yeah. that stuff. I need to get it in there. Once I get the initial beds planted the first season, then it starts to become that permaculture garden where I put all kinds of things in there. And yes, absolutely. It's going to be the most gorgeous garden you can imagine because it's going to be in my backyard. It's going to have herbs in it. It's yeah. going to have so many good things. And when you tell me at 7.30 or 8 o'clock at night when you're finishing up a meal, hey, you got any parsley out there? I'm not going to go, oh, don't make me go out. I'm going to go, I'm going to go, oh, yeah, I got some right outside. And I'm going right. to run right outside to the backyard. I'm going to harvest it and I'm going to bring it in. Now, I want to take the opportunity to let everybody know about my dates for my March events because I'm going to be teaching. I've got that brand new garden that I just built with beds that are being built and all the different techniques I'm using with wind blocks. And I mean, just all the different things that you might want to learn about your garden, getting, what are you, what am I planting right now? How am I planting? What are the extra things I'm doing? Mm -hmm. You can learn all that stuff on March the 19th here at the farm. It's 3 to 5 p.m. in the afternoon. It costs $44 a car load. And bring up to seven people in your car if you want to. And then on March 16th, I have my long lunch club that's coming up. And my salad mix that's coming out of the garden right now is magnificent. We may it be talking about that in a little while. so good. And then I've got carrots and I've got all kinds of different root vegetables and beautiful herbs. Oh, my goodness, you guys. It's getting real. The good stuff's about to just start piling in, piling in. And I'm telling you right now, I'm praying for some good spring rains that'll hold us over for the summer. Unanswered questions. Last week, you brought up one of my favorite subjects about whether I approve or disapprove of doing things that are illegal. And I brought up that book by Joel Salatin about everything I want to do in life is illegal or something like that. Did you get the actual title? Did I have the correct title? You had one word wrong. Everything I want to know is illegal. Everything I want to know is illegal. Ooh, that's good. I guess I didn't realize that. Everything I want to know is illegal. Yeah, and you got a chance to meet him, Joel Salatin. I did. He is probably more than ever before one of my favorite farmers to follow. If I had to explain like the way I feel about life as it relates to farming also... He's the man. Ser the, that servant of the land, that like special place that a farmer has has this like responsibility and the way he talks about that and the way he talks about how it aligns with his spiritual beliefs and all of that kind of stuff. Like he led the way yeah. in this generation. Sure. Don't forget that farmers do this this way. And these are the things we do. And these are the things we fight for. And these are the things we pray for. And these are the, you know, whatever. Folks and that get into raising their own food to any larger level than just what do I need to feed my family? And even then sometimes. Sure. Yeah, no homesteaders. Joel Salatin is a name that they know. Yeah, I'm a Joel Salatin groupie. When he came to Rockport, 
I was like a silly little kid. We can post a picture of the two of you together. Aww. How many ingredients are in your favorite M&M's, the almond M&M's? I don't know. How 28. many? 28. So more than French fries at McDonald's. Well, that I expect, Oof. though, because Oof. French fries at McDonald's only do <laughs> potatoes, oil, and salt. Right. What, are, what are the other 16? <laughs> right. Good point. Uh, Joe goes, well, what do you mean when you pick your battles? Me and chocolate. Chocolate wins. <laughs> I'm not certain that I can fast from chocolate. Like, I never say never because I, five years ago, I would have never said I could not stop eating pasta and mm -hmm. bread. And I've done that. So, well, actually, technically, I haven't done that. I've just been able to shift. So that's the thing. Are you going to be able to make me some, like, M&Ms in the kitchen? Never. <laughs> well, Can you then, imagine? Well, then I might have an M&M from the... Let me think about this. Peanuts or almonds in chocolate, that's doable. It's the candy shell that melts in your mouth and not in your hands is going to be the issue. The answer to that would be to stop buying me M&Ms and rather buy me chocolate-covered almonds. One thing I love about unanswered questions is when I learn something practical that I can use in my kitchen. Mm. We brought up last week when Francesco came over for your farm to table dinner, mm -hmm. how he used the starch water, the leftover water from the pasta in a sauce. Mm -hmm. I feel like a fool for not knowing about this prior to now. Hmm. But I looked up how to use pasta water. No, you're using potato water. Well, he used potato water. I'm going into that murky water. That's left behind when you boil a starch. I have always just poured that down the drain. When I boil potatoes for mashed potatoes, I always just throw that down the drain. I never thought that there would be some reason why I would want to have it in the kitchen. You know, you could pour that stuff out in the garden. Kind of like how we put mulch in the garden. It's the same thing. It's I carbon. completely, completely buy that. But this is a trick that chefs know, professional chefs know. It is the secret to basically all of their sauces because the starch in the water, be it pasta water or potato water. Rice water. Sure. Is a binding agent that's going to bind sauce to a pasta. Mm -hmm. You can even substitute it for milk when you make like boxed macaroni and cheese. Hmm. People use it to make bread with. They substitute water with one of these starch waters because it makes the dough rise a little bit higher. Hmm. Tricks, man. Tricks. Yeah. It's really not different than gardening, really. I mean, we've talked about this. 10,000 hours, right? It's the same thing. You're absolutely right. My best friend's son just got into the Culinary Institute in San, in San Antonio. That's awesome. I am amazed. That's wonderful. Okay. I told you last week that I wanted you to see my number one movie from 2021, Come On, Come On, as soon as it was available on streaming. Mm -hmm. It is available on streaming. Mm -hmm. We watched it that night. Mm -hmm. What do you think about my number one choice for the best film of the year? I think it was my best film of the year, too, now that I've really? seen it. Really? Yes. We it was so good. You hadn't told me that. It's so good. Yeah, I called it the most human story. Remember last week? I just loved everything about it. The way they told the stories. I loved just the way they spoke about things. And the idea of speaking to children and listening from children's perspectives. What they're picking up. What codes are we teaching them? What are they learning? What do they see? You know? How our lives change when something that is normally not in our life comes into it and how we react to it. Well, you're seeing, you're saying that from the uncle's perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I completely understand that part of it too. I saw a mom friend of mine post a meme that said... Having children is like jumping out of an airplane, pulling six people's parachutes, hitting the ground, getting up and making dinner. That's funny. And it reminded me of Come On, Come On, because the mom's point of view was really interesting to me. Like reading to the kid in bed 
Like that was a big deal to me. The book that Joaquin Phoenix reads where he talks about what it feels like to be a mom. He's babysitting his sister's son while she's off for a while. And he's going through her library and reading her things. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I, I guess I didn't realize that was what was happening. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. So he was right? picking up the books that she reads. And one of them was, and this has to be done as a question. When he reads something, mm -hmm. if the, uh, the director's flashing a subtitle that tells you the title of the book. And you're hearing him narrate it, the book to himself in his head. Mm -hmm. But it's very applicable to the what's happening in the story exactly so there's a section where he talks about what it feels like to be a mom the burden of the world is on you that yeah jumping out of an airplane mm -hmm. right okay and then at the end of it he reads one of my favorite children books and i had forgotten about it which means i'm now anytime i ever have an encounter where i have to get a child something a book or something like that this, this is book it. is coming out of me what was it i don't remember it was oh. little the little light now i can't think of it but it's something about the light or the star seed or the the star seed, the starlight. We'll get it next it's week. It's something like that. And I'd love to talk about Come On, Come On again next week. Don't it's worry. It's such a great movie, you guys. You yeah. have got to watch it for every reason that you can imagine. It's just so good. It's so good. And it one, got us talking. We stopped the movie and yeah. talked for an hour. And one more unanswered question a little later in the show. Hmm. One year ago today. Time What are we doing here? What are we doing here? Episode 2.27, one year ago this week, Crawfish 2021, two people trying to figure out if what they're saying is offensive. Yeah, I don't even care anymore. Especially when the whole room laughs before they then follow it up with the potential offendedness. Yeah, we've said that a couple of times. I can't worry about offending people here. Everyone's going to get offended so you're, easily. You're at our dinner table. We're going to just talk about some stuff. Well, I'm just past the point of that, honestly. Like, if mm -hmm. that's where you go, then we're not living in the same world anymore. And that, that's an interesting concept because in my world, we say that a lot these days. But in my world, this is what's occurring. Mm -hmm. In my world, this is what's occurring. I don't know what else to do. I imagine as long as we do this podcast, year number 0.27 will always be about a crawfish boil because one year ago this week, we did a crawfish boil. Clearly, we're going to have a crawfish boil in February every year. We're likely going to align it with my dad's birthday because my dad's birthday is in February. It's like, thank God you were born in February because we like to eat crawfish. And that means we can have a big old crawfish boil and celebrate your birthday and crawfish. So one year ago this week, listen to that episode if you're curious about how we boil our crawfish. Mm -hmm. how we clean the crawfish before we boil them. We also had a carrot cake one year ago this week. We had a carrot cake this year too. Last year's carrot cake had my carrots and my eggs in it, which it could have had that in it this year as well. However, we purchased a cake from my friend at Let Them Eat Cake. And she put from her garden, because at her restaurant, she uses fresh garden vegetables and eggs from her chickens for the things she served there. That's amazing. So, so when she made the cake, it had her eggs and her carrots. La, la, la. That's fantastic. This is the world we live in. Now, the main difference between last year and this year then is that now we live here. Yes, and it makes it so much easier. It's occurring to me a lot with the garden, with the events that we're putting on. Because the farm to table that we put on last week, last year I had to drive from my house over here, make sure I had everything ready in my car, packed and ready to get here. Yeah, being here makes it a lot easier. Ugh, everything is easier. 
So this year, now it's gotten to be a regular routine. People are kind of expecting it. Mm -hmm. And clearly, two years in a row, nearly to the date, we're having the exact same type of crawfish boil. When we went to invite and create this event, there were quite a few people that attended this year. So it was a big turnout. I did it a little differently. I asked everyone to contribute and or bring some kind of potluck side dish, kind of like we did for the Friendsgiving, like BYOB, BYO a potluck, something or another. If you're going to eat crawfish, throw in some bucks because that'll help us pay for the crawfish boil. I think as people get to know us and the type of events that we're going to have out here, yeah. they're bringing like their A game. Of course they with are. With their potluck. Absolutely. I walked by real quick and took a piece of bread off a thing and dipped it into some oil like you have at like a fi- finer restaurant. Yeah, it was a burrata. <laughs> good Lord, was it good. Mm-hmm. I could go on and on. Absolutely. So we've got the crawfish bowl going. My mom made some fried fish yeah. for the kiddos and for people that might not eat crawfish. Yeah, because everyone is going to eat the cornmeal battered fried fresh fish from our golf that uh-huh. my brother cut. I mean, like, yeah, it's just, <laughs> and, and it's fun when you do a potluck crawfish that you kind of put it out there like, hey, bring a potluck that'll help feed kids if you're bringing kids because kids are not going to eat. They may eat a little bit of fish, but they're not going to eat crawfish. And you might be able to like tempt them. I'll give you a quarter if you eat that raw oyster. I'll give you a quarter if you eat that crawfish. You might be able to tempt them a little bit, some of them a little bit here and there. I think they'd say a a quarter. It's time to up your game. (laughs) Right, exactly. And uh, so there was like a a charcuterie of like chicken nuggets and french fries and carrot sticks. That Uh was fantastic. And then, of course, there was like cake balls and brownies and coleslaw. And then someone brought potato soup with all the toppings on it. Did you you try it? Yes. Everything was so excellent. The crawfish was so excellent. The vibe was so good. I mean, that's the thing that I'm finding with all of these types of events that we're having out here. The farm-to-table dinners and the private family parties. I think people get out here and they just are blown away at what they see. They're blown away by how welcoming and comfortable and fun and safe. And, And so the room is filled with gratitude and happiness. And we're all laughing and we're just enjoying each other. And it's this... Very eclectic mixture of people. That's the truth. Especially at a birthday party type of situation. It's like my dad's friends and they've got their tennis friends and then they've got their old friends that my dad bull rode with and then they've got their old friends from college or high school. You know, I mean, there's these people that are coming together. Then we've got our friends, the ones that have started to show the culinary interest with us. Those people show up and then other people that are just our good friends are just going to show up. And it's so enjoyable. It's interesting to get different friends of ours that have never met one another together in a room and listen to their conversations. Oh, yeah. People that you don't even think would, I hate to say this, match. But then there's always some kind of common ground. Well, and I think that that's one of the things that friends that have known me for a really long time can actually count on and appreciate is that I'm going to bring all kinds of people into the room together. But they're all of the same joyful spirit generally like that's their nature Mm -hmm. they're all from a healthy lifestyle that tends to be their nature Mm -hmm. we have different opinions but we're all like happy healthy people together you get great conversations well just like we do here every week at the dinner table i hope i certainly think so that being said one thing you can do to help us get this out to more generally happy healthy people in the community that just want to hear different fun stories and interact with us Please send the podcast out to your friends so more people can know about it 
And if you're really a big fan of ours, we would love to get some new mics. So maybe you'd become a sponsor. We've got a couple of sponsors. It's yeah, not very hard to do. And there's a little button right there. Yeah, we would appreciate it. Thank you so much. I re-listened to one section of last week's episode twice. Mm-hmm. Our conversation about horror movies. Mm. I found it fascinating. <laughs> but that's a, It's a very subjective opinion, but I found it fascinating. Yeah. Because you and I agree on so, 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 so much. We're talking about come on, come on, right? Yeah. Last week we said Pig was amazing. Yes, Pig was amazing. And you and I can find a lot of common joy in a lot of movies. But the thing that we disagree on is horror movies and we talked about it for a good while the idea that well okay hold on there are some horror movies they're classified as horror movies that i actually do like Mm -hmm. very very much i neglected to bring this up last week in the new scream Mm -hmm. that you didn't want to see you know how they're always pontificate about how horror movies work that's like the gimmick of the scream franchise Mm -hmm. well in the nine years i think since the last one that number may not be right a new type of horror has emerged that has been called the subgenre elevated horror. And the films that you do like that are horror, quote yeah. unquote, movies are in this genre. Of course. Ari Oster's Midsummer mm-hmm. and Hereditary. Mm-hmm. Last week we talked about St. Maud from 2021. Mm-hmm. The thing that I would say that is the most different about us that often surprises me mm-hmm. is the feeling aspect of things. I'm empathic. Yeah. I believe a lot of people actually are more empathic than they realize. Mm -hmm. They just have never delved into it enough to understand what that sense is of feeling. Uh It's a sense of feeling. Right. Because I would say that more people than not feel things when they watch a movie. Like when someone falls down a ladder, they feel when someone hits the ground, they feel it. That's one of the things that's been an ongoing conversation with us. So if a lot of people feel that feeling, and once you get past the like, I'm a teenager and I can do whatever I want and I can watch these horror films if I want to, you begin to stop wanting to feel like that because the world already feels like that enough and you don't need any more of that kind of feeling in your life. And so the mainstream doesn't watch horror horror films like they used to. So they're having to elevate and shift the horror industry to get more people to watch it. I agree with that. I think that the elevated horror film is a way for our tour directors to say, I'm making something more than the next Friday the 13th, which we all kind of know and have all kind of seen. But just this week on Netflix, a new version of Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out. And as I understand it, it was staggeringly popular. But it's that older school, let me show you the chainsaw ripping into the flesh, which is not really the thing Mm -mm. that I'm into very, very, very much. Mm -mm. That's got to be more like kind of like with Scream, that it's like bringing back something that is a nostalgic type of thing. Because... Honey, this at, but at the, at same the time, end of this year is the end of the new Halloween trilogy, which were staggeringly popular. That's the thing. A lot of people love horror movies. But Chainsaw Massacre reestablished itself in the 90s and then reestablished itself again now. It the 90s like. one wasn't very popular. It doesn't matter. No. People went out to see it in the 90s. Mm-hmm. We're reestablishing again or reinventing the 90s things again now. So it's like... Yeah, there's, well, a, there's a market for that in this weird way that a lot of film cinema fans are getting real tired of. Oh, great. We're going to reboot that again. Yeah. Where's well, the original thought? The question you asked last week was, why do I want to see that? 
Yeah. Last week was more about you stating your case for why you don't. Mm-hmm. As I began to read fiction that wasn't the Hardy Boys, right? As I grew up and began reading adult books, one of the first ones was Stephen King. Mm-hmm. Me too. And I loved it. I can't exactly tell you why. Me and my friends in junior high and high school would have sleepovers and watch horror movies every weekend. Oftentimes, we were consuming horror movies. I don't do it that way anymore. It's a maturity thing. It's like, I've got to do these things so that I can decide whether I like them or not. Mm. And then you get to the stage where I am and where my parents are, where it's like, we've already, we did that and we saw it and we did all the things and we decided that's not really our genre of movie that we want to watch. It doesn't make us feel good. That's a little bit dismissive, I think, to a lot of people that do go watch horror movies. The Exorcist, R-rated movies in the I think the a lot less people, be... like, th- there's a lot of people that don't watch horror movies. A lot sure, sure. of people. There's a lot of people that don't watch romantic comedies, but romantic comedies remain very, very popular. My point about people watching... But I would say there's more people that watch romantic movies than watch horror movies. That's a great unanswered question. Yeah. My world doesn't like horror. <laughs> My Except world doesn't like horror that horrific things. Except for the horror that it likes. You cannot... Is it, is it enlightening or is it trauma? Is it horrific? Horrific. See, that's the interesting thing about the conversation is that it's not about whether or not horror movies are popular. I believe that they are, even if they're not your favorites. It's that the line is drawn by you. Yeah, definitely. What you deem acceptable horror is acceptable. To me. Right. I just like good movies. But that's according to your opinion. Exactly. I didn't say that I wasn't, it wasn't my opinion. Well, no, when you say, why do you like things? Well, why do you not? Because it makes me feel bad, and I don't want to do things that make me feel bad. It doesn't make me feel bad. I know. You and I have a difference in feeling. So is the question really, why are we different in that regard in general? I think that we have been having a lot of conversations recently Mm -hmm. about feeling, because we're having conversations out in the world about feelings being triggered as people are grieving with death. and. Feeling the feeling of another war coming up and all the different things we're Mm -hmm. feeling right now. And so I lead my entire life based on how I feel. Uh Truth. Right. And a lot of people in kind of what I would consider old historical coding have shut their feelings down, numbed their feelings. They Mm -hmm. don't feel things. But at the same time, this is the theory that I have is that if you ask a room full of people, if you ask on the podcast, I think y'all talked about this the other day, your beer in a movie podcast, whether your friends have a feeling when someone falls down a ladder and hits the ground, yeah. most people can feel that. I don't know that that's true. Okay. You do. And I think that you extrapolate that then that most people must. I've asked the question before and... Uh, yeah, it's my world. In my world, people feel things. So, when it, so if people are falling down a ladder often enough for it to be depicted in film, often enough for be, us to be using that as an example, why are directors putting it in their movies if it has such a negative connotation on the viewer? It's not seen as negative right now. People don't see pain as negative right now. Mm-hmm. We don't live in a world that sees pain as negative. That isn't the majority. That's still not mainstream. Just because you feel pain doesn't mean that you reject pain. But what I'm saying is that if falling down a ladder prevents you from watching the movie, like I don't want to watch a movie where people fall down the ladder. Why would a filmmaker in business to make money with their film ever put it in? Because if if everyone's going to reject it. The same reason why 
the advertising companies sell you pain. They sell, they sell you war. They sell you things so that they can sell you then the solution to that. If you feel pain over here, if we create a pain scenario, then you'll buy more Miller Lite to numb the pain. But you don't see a lot of pain in Miller Lite commercials. You see girls in bikinis. That's exactly right. Because that is the answer to your pain. Oh, bikini girls. Yes, I'm bikini girls and beaches and beer is all the See, answer to the your the pain. I thought where the conversation would go is, so we watched Free Guy the other day. Mm-hmm. You liked that movie a lot. Yeah. I did too. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I, yeah. I, it, was, it exceeded my expectations. Absolutely. I think we were about to immediately start a new Ryan Reynolds movie because I liked that movie so much, but then remembered Come On, Come On was streaming, so we watched that instead. We paused that movie and talked for almost an hour. Come on, come on, not Free Guy. Free Guy. We didn't pause Free Guy. We paused Free Guy because we fell asleep. But uh, we did talk about Free Guy mm-hmm. while we were having the conversation about Come On, Come On. Because we were talking about feelings. Because the core of my conversations with you and kind of with everyone right now are, how does that make you feel? Because what we were talking about was the guy is bipolar. The dad is bipolar. And I can feel the pain of him and everyone around him. The because, way it's presented in the film is, is, yeah, is causing you I've a I've been feeling. diagnosed in my lifetime as bipolar. Mm-hmm right? I don't believe in that shit anymore. I don't believe, it's not that I don't believe that people have pain and that there are people that deal with exactly what that guy is dealing with. What I don't believe in is that there's anything broken about me. I believe that my personality with the amazing superstar ability to do so many amazing things doesn't fit in society. And so therefore we have to treat it in order to make it fit into society without causing anxiety and depression and mania and all of that. Right. Autism might even be kind of the same stuff. That's where I first felt that way when I began to see all of these children being diagnosed with autism. And my family, we deal with a line of this like creative crazy. You know, we deal with these bipolar things. We deal with these ADHD things. We deal with these autism like spectrum things. We deal with all this stuff. And it's our superpower. It's what makes us really good at the things that we're really good at. But because it's less than the normal that we knew once upon a time. We didn't we're fit call in the it, classroom's yeah. desk. Go sit in your desk. Do not bounce around in your seat, John. Yeah. Do not. Do not. You're a, you're not above the rules, Aislinn. But the question you asked me was, when you watch a movie, do you feel like you're part of the movie? Do you feel like not you're in the movie as an actor in the movie, but are you completely immersed in the film? Yeah, and for me, it's based on that. That ha- I go inside the movie. Yeah, that that person's feeling, the experience that they have, the right. experience so, that a wife has mm-hmm. that with a husband that is bipolar and trying to teach a kid how to handle a bipolar parent. I know what that feels like. The answer is no. Right. I, I guess most of the time. And then you said, well, that must mean then that you're watching the movie from a distance that I am not watching the movie. And then you said. And that's why I suppose you could be more film critic-y about it because you're you're able to separate enough all of the time to notice cinematography and three-act structure and all of the kind of stuff that's about making the movie rather than the... Well, that's where I brought up the zoom in, zoom out thing. Mm-hmm. Because when you came into my life, you taught me to look at things from a film, something about the way you said it or the way you did it, the way you taught me about directors, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. Because I went to school 
for, I took film criticism. Right. You know, I took, I, I studied this sure. stuff and I was able to, just like you can spout out a bunch of Bible verses, that doesn't necessarily mean that you understand what you're actually talking about, but you've learned some things, mm-hmm. right? Right. It's the same thing that I did in a film criticism class until I met you and you actually helped flip the light on. And I went, oh, he steps out of the movie. He's not in the movie. He's not even in the movie. He's seeing it as a film critic. And now I have this interesting ability to like zoom in, zoom out. And it's like, if I don't really want to zoom out and look at how bad the movie is, all I have to do is zoom in. And if I can zoom in and be a part of the feeling of it because it makes me feel good, then I don't care how good the film is. I don't care like about the other things. I retain detachment. You do. That is that is the crux of it all. And because I retain detachment, it doesn't affect me the way that I believe and know that those kinds of things affect you. Yep. The fascinating unanswered question for me is that a close-up of an old man who it's time for him to end his life and the social pact that he made with his community, jumping off of a tall cliff and watching his body disintegrate as it hits the rocks. That hurts me. Close up. It hurts And me. then if he's not dead, they come in with mallets to mm-hmm. beat his head until he is dead. I actually close my eyes, even in the best movies, even in it's those... It's horrific. I close my eyes when I can see bodily pain mm-hmm. occurring. I close my eyes. Right. But that doesn't take away I'm the fact... I'm talking about Midsummer, by yes, the way. Yes. That doesn't take away the fact that throughout the entire movie, I'm immersed in this mm-hmm. feeling of this enlightenment that they're trying to show us that there is different ways of living life and different ways of valuing life. Like most unanswered questions, I googled, why do people like horror movies? Hmm. I've got six reasons. Mm-hmm. We probably don't need to d- dive deep into them, but here they are. Being scared can give you a thrilling rush. People get adrenaline, dopamine from the rush of a horror movie. Yeah, people like adrenaline. That's why people jump out of airplanes. You're terrified, but you're also safe. Right. It's a safe way to experience I don't believe that. I don't believe that you're safe. I believe you're creating that. And that's why we have that kind of stuff in our world is because we watch it on film and then we feel it in the movie and then we manifest it. That's the reason why I'm so adamant about it. I think murder existed before motion pictures. It did. Okay. But the thing about it is, is that the more you create, like, okay, well, I have never murdered somebody that way, but I saw it on a movie and I've felt what that feels like and I've seen it in a movie. Now I'm going to go over there and do it over here because I've seen it somewhere. Someone has done it. That's how we create things. That is literally how humans create things. They see someone else do something and they go, can I do that but a little bit better? Or can I do something like that? And then they go and create something like that because they've seen someone do it. While there's a rise in school shootings, I think the percentage of children that do a school shooting is very, very, very low. In other words, the general population doesn't react in a copycat way most, most, most of the time. True. It doesn't mean that it doesn't create it. To begin with. It helps. Some of these are lame. It helps you prepare for the worst. A zombie movie may spark an interest in survivalism. If you're preparing for the worst, you're creating the worst. Horror teaches you to cope. Watching horror movies can help you practice coping strategies. We think what's going on is that horror fans are essentially building a toolkit for how to deal with anxious or afraid. That's one way to do it, I suppose. 
But you can't choose the light if you don't know the darkness, I suppose. So that's, I mean, I think that that's why to me, it's like, there's a, there's like an age thing that occurs. Everybody probably younger than your parents preferred saw a horror movie. At some sleepover. Exactly. With an older brother that scored the VHS tape. Yes. And then you went through a period where you watched a bunch of horror films because that's what everybody was doing. And also because you wanted to know whether you liked whether you wanted that or not, whether you wanted darkness or, or not in your life. And then you move on to whether or not you can live with that daily in your thought processes and whether you want to create any more thoughts about that, whether, whether you believe in whether it actually manifests the, the form of that actual thing occurring in real life or not, it's still inside your head and you have to think about it all the time. And a lot of people just don't want to think about that kind of stuff all the time. That I completely understand. Completely understand. I have this weird, strong ability to compartmentalize. Don't know if that's good or bad. I just have that ability. So I put those things in their own little box inside my brain. And I oh, don't yeah. feel like they're hurting me in any way at all. Protection. You've protected yourself very well. So in last year's episode, you say, after our crawfish boil, I want crawfish bisque. And then we made that and talked about it on a past episode. Mm -hmm. I want crawfish omelets. And then we did that. Mm -hmm. With the leftover crawfish tails, I decided to make a little crawfish pizza. Sounded good to me. Sounded great to me. Uh -huh. It was a total fail. <laughs> the chickens are going to love it. <laughs> it had a weird flavor to it. Some kind of weird flavor. I couldn't figure out what it was. But then as you reminded me that we had made the crawfish omelet last year... And then I didn't really like the crawfish omelet that much. Uh -huh. I brought that back up again because I yeah. was like, you know. And when you reminded me that you didn't like the crawfish omelet and we didn't like the crawfish pizza, I said, oh, there's something in common. Mm -hmm. I made a bechamel sauce and added Creole seasoning for both of those things. Mm. The pizza was one of your gluten-free kind of box prepped. Well, what's the Creole seasoning that you're adding? Oh, this time I used Jacob's. Huh. Yeah. Then that doesn't make sense. I think it is the I eat that buttery stuff gravy every day. portion of it is the only thing that I can think of. Are you using a, one of the gluten-free flours maybe that had a weird, just a weird flavor for that profile? I, I, I can't figure this out because for me, it had this like plasticky, flowery, And then floral. you asked me, when, so we used one of your pre-packaged crusts that you'd gotten from Thrive recently. It yeah. was gluten-free. Yeah. It was the first time we've used one of these. And I thought maybe it was the crust. I thought it might have been too. But then I tested the crust without anything on it right. and it tasted great. Right. So you take your crust, you preheat your pan with this particular brand, and then you put the crust on the hot preheated pan and you make your pizza and you put it in the oven. Mm -hmm. It was good and crispy. Yeah. Prior to that, I had made a this Creole sauce I'm talking about, which was the gluten-free flour with butter to make a roux. And then you add your whipping cream, sour cream, stir it, whisk it until it's nice and thick. Then you add your Creole seasoning. Mm -hmm. That's it. You brush that onto the crust. Then I added asparagus, the crawfish tails, and some cut up sausage. Then I sprinkled that with fontina cheese and mozzarella cheese grated and mixed together. The pizza should have just been fine. I think I that it has to do with, with using leftover crawfish for those types of things. Oh. The omelet and the pizza means that you're eating chunks of leftover crawfish and the crawfish is the star ingredient of that. But there's something about that leftover boiled crawfish in that 
elevated like dish where it's supposed to be the center of attention mm -hmm. that it doesn't have the right flavor it's like it's just not right because that's kind of what i remembered about the well, omelet say from last, last year I took, a, I took a bite of a piece with just sausage and on it was it, and great I liked it very much yeah that was great so when you make bisque you know a cajun bisque with some cajun boiled crawfish in it mm -hmm. it tastes delicious so i think that maybe if we stick with more like traditional cajun like cooking to use leftover crawfish, we might be happy. Etouffee, if we want to have yeah, if we want to have crawfish pizza, then we should buy fresh crawfish, tail it, and then make crawfish pizza and try it that way and see if that makes a difference. But enough about our failures. <laughs> you had a ton of mushrooms and sent me a recipe, said, Hey, can we try this tonight? It was a chunky mushroom and celery soup. Yeah, I have this friend. I've talked about it before. She brings me compost blocks from mushrooms. And this time it had like three or four different varieties of mushrooms. And they had just been kind of growing and hanging out there. And one day I just popped them all off really quickly, threw them in the refrigerator and was like, hey, we need to cook these mushrooms pretty quick. And I've also got a ton of this good fresh celery that I bought at the farmer's market the other day. Why don't you make a cream and mushroom celery soup? That was one of my favorite soups to eat when I was a kid was a cream and mushroom soup. Sure. So I'm curious to know what a fresh cream of mushroom soup would taste like. Soup, soup. I love building a soup. Exactly. You melt your butter in the pot. Then you add your onions and your garlic. You saute that. Then you add your celery cooked for 10 minutes with a lid on. Mm -hmm. Already the house smells delicious. Mm-hmm. Add all of your mushrooms and cook them until they're golden brown. The juices have come out. You're stirring it every once in a while. Then you're adding your flour to it. I use the gluten-free flour substitute, of course. Add the chicken broth that I pull right out of our freezer, and that's it. Pour in some milk, salt, and pepper, and you've got yourself cream of mushroom and celery soup. It was good. However, the mushrooms were too tough. They were a little over-ripened. I hadn't really messed with them too much. I wasn't expecting them to grow, but then they got a little bit of rain and then they grew and I needed to harvest them really quickly. Yeah, they were I needed thought, to be reconstituted like seriously. I thought there's no harm in me cooking it an extra 10 minutes. I did, trying to yeah. soften up those yeah. mushrooms. Eventually yeah. I said, nope, got the immersion yeah. blender out and blended it up so that you're not having these big bites of mushrooms that are just a little bit too hard. Yeah. That made it a lot better. Yeah. That meant that there was more mushroom square footage surface area. Yeah. So it sucked in even more liquid. I had to add some more broth. I, I got it perfect. It was it was really, really good. And that kind of reminded me of like the Campbell's soup, cream and mushroom soup that I ate when I was a kid because mm -hmm. of the way it was kind of blended up. And it was, it was always funny to me because people always thought it was odd that I ate cream and mushroom soup because cream and mushroom soup was for making casseroles with. It wasn't for eating soup, you know, but... People do actually eat mushroom soup. Sure. You know, that's a thing that happens. And when you have an overflow of abundance, you use it. So the next day I was like, hey, we've got this cream of celery and mushroom soup in here. It's already made. You should make a broccoli casserole because I just harvested some broccoli from the garden. Chicken, broccoli, rice, mushroom soup. Yeah, let's do it. I love this. You sent me a recipe. From Campbell's Soup website. Right, because I couldn't find anything better than that. If I look up cream of mushroom soup with broccoli, rice, mm -hmm. chicken, it kept taking me back to Campbell's. You wanted <laughs> that chicken and rice casserole. Yeah. The recipe is a can of Campbell's condensed, you know, mushroom soup, you know, a, a box of long grain wild rice, mm -hmm. a frozen bag of vegetables, <laughs> chicken and cheese. Right, right. Well, I can substitute... 
the can amount of the mushroom soup that we have, which is 10.75 ounces, by the way. I had to Google that. Mm-hmm. And what the heck is in the package of like a bin style long grain wild rice? A little you made those before, right? Mm-hmm. You What's pour the seasoning the, there. You yeah. pour the rice in, four point five ounces, by the way, and then you put the water in. You put a pat of butter in there, and then you tear open the package, and there's a bunch of powder in there. Right. But we're not going to buy that, so I had to kind of try to duplicate it. What ultimately happened was, I think, that using our soup instead of the camp. <laughs> This was a fail. The chickens loved the leftovers. I thought we were done talking about our fails. Well, (laughs) they they pop in from time to time. (laughs) I think what happened here, because it was very dry. It wasn't like a creamy creamy. casserole. So I think if I duplicated this and used more of our soup and then more broth on top of it. These are the types of recipe situations that we need to put in a dinner table talks recipe book i'm telling you because when you because when you create the answer to the from scratch broccoli rice chicken casserole with from scratch cream of mushroom soup there will be people out there that will want it because i'm looking for it the thing is is talking about this concept of campbell's soup recipe where it's use this and use this and use this you think about in the days when canning you know, in the 50s or whatever, when cans started cans of soup and cans of food and really took off. frozen dinners and right. things to help moms with their days and all that kind of stuff came off. Nobody knew how to use that stuff. The same way now, nobody knows how to actually use real rice and a real cream soup in their recipes. Right. And we have to teach people how to use carrots. Yeah, the generation's gone the completely other way. Now all I know how to use is the canned product. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. They were teaching you how to use that Campbell's soup in 800 different ways. And, and so, your grandmother made you all those recipes. Yeah. So when we create our recipe book, these are the types of recipes how that are going to go in there. How to do yeah. it all from scratch. How did scratch. we do it? And how did we use the overflow of abundance and the seasonal overflow of abundance? And how did we take it all the way down to scratch and make it? Because you know this, you and I both do it. When we go to look for recipes, we start at the top. We put in the words we're looking for. The first recipe that's going to come up is going to be the Campbell's soup or the the one with all the prepackaged stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Then you go further down and you find the homesteading mom that grows her garden fresh. And I'll even use, now I start to use the words in the top like garden fresh cream of mushroom soup. You know, I I add those words in there Mm -hmm. and then you get the homesteader that teaches you how to make it, the original thing. See, I'm telling you, we're on to something here. We just have to do it. I can fix this next time. I'm looking forward to it because I expect to get more of these mushroom blocks. Yeah. And if I don't, either way, I'm ready to go down the mushroom train. <laughs> well, hey, while we're in this intellectual vibe, why don't you kick over a question that we can deep dive into? The random question of the week this week is food related. Mm, good. If you were in charge of choosing the food for a food eating competition that you are also going to take part in, what food would you pick? Like who can eat the fastest? Well, the food competition is usually like hot dogs. Well, you're not going to get into the hot dog competition. Crawfish. Mm-hmm. That's the one. That is such an easy answer. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The reason I say that, and that's an easy answer, is because that is a thing in my family. Like we're real competitive about how many and how fast can you eat. So yeah, crawfish. Have you ever watched the hot dog eating competition? Yeah, it's the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. They have to eat the bun and the wiener. Mm-hmm. 
and you're allowed to have water. Mm -hmm. So they dip the bun in water to kind of pre-juice it so it doesn't suck up all their saliva. Oh, okay. Can you imagine eating a wet roll or 55 or whatever no. the company? I, I, I don't want to really be in eating competitions. Right. I think I'm it's trying to fine think of what, to... Yeah, what food could I eat quickly and a lot of it? Actually, that's not true. I would probably participate in a crawfish eating challenge. That I could, yeah. I think mine is chicken wings, but I would want it to be the chicken wings that we buy. Oh, gotcha. What Ch chicken I... wings are easy. You, you, the drumsticks are easy. And then the other part of the wing, I don't know what it's called, that has the two bones parallel to one another with the meat in the inside. Those are just, those just come right off if you know what uh -huh. you're doing. And if the sauce is not too, too hot, I could eat those forever. I'm definitely trying to come up with different interesting ways to use the pavilion to like have more just fun like things. And I could see us doing like a chicken wing challenge or a crawfish challenge you know like lily aislin and paul oh, sit I down to saying. eat crawfish like if we Who all can eat the crawfish fasted fun it would be fun yeah episode 4.27 <laughs> we i thought we were done thing. talking about our fails well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Dinner Table Talks. We will be back next Monday with a fresh episode. In the meantime, hit us up on social media, send us an email, DM us, whatever. We want to hear from you. And we hope that you're enjoying the episodes as much as we enjoy creating them for you.